0: that being said, I want to jump in now to the teaching. So if you guys have your Bibles, why don't you open up to the book of John chapter 19. John chapter 19 is what we're going to be looking at here right now. John chapter 19. Um, Take a look at John chapter 19 verse 28. Um, I'm going to read the passage and uh, we're just going to meditate upon this and then we will have some time for um, communion and prayer and response. John chapter 19, verse 28 and 29 says this. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and they held it to his mouth. I want to pray, and then we'll jump into what God has to speak to us here today. So why don't you just quiet your heart, close your eyes if you'd like. Um, Let's just come before God. God, you are our father. You love us. You care for us as your own. God, we want to not give our hearts over to anxiety or stress or fear. All of those things that are so natural for us, especially in this moment, we want to pause and reflect upon your goodness and upon how you can relate with us to the degree that you can. And God, let that begin to reshape our hearts so that we would then, in turn, love you and then love our neighbor. And so we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, We've been in a series on Sunday morning prior to uh, catastrophe, global catastrophe. Um, I'm looking at what's called the the phrases of the words of Jesus from the cross. Um, And this has been part of that season leading up to um, Good Friday and Easter Sunday, where we celebrate um, Jesus rising again from the dead, his greatest victory. Uh, We've been looking at a phrase each week. That Jesus says from the cross. I'll give you a couple of examples of these um, as I open my notes and begin to jump into looking at some of these. Uh, we see Jesus speaks a word on forgiveness. He speaks a word on hope where he says this day today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, he speaks a word on relationships and our affection where he looks to uh, John, one of the followers of Jesus. He says uh, to his mother, uh, woman, behold, your son. Uh, John, behold your mother, and he reorients relationships around himself at the very center of it. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at really a subject or a word that we can describe as longing, longing. And in this text, I think what's super interesting to just consider these words, there's two things that really stick out to me pretty um significantly in the phrase or in the passage that we had just read um, and I'll just kind of break it down in these two ways number one is we see the human vulnerability of Jesus in the phrase I thirst I'll come back to that secondly we see the the, the divine deliverance of God in the usage of the phrase that gets used um And it's a hyssop branch. It's actually used. I'll unpack that more in just a moment. So I want to look at, number one, the human vulnerability of Jesus. And secondly, we'll take a look at the divine deliverance of God. And what does deliverance of God look like for us? And how do we live into that as followers of Jesus? Uh, So number one, I want to take a look at the human vulnerability of Jesus. And again, listen to the phrase. Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. So I thought it'd be good to just right now as a pause to think about what is the scripture that Jesus was no doubt referencing or talking about. Now again, if you know anything about the life of Jesus, you know that he was steeped in the Hebrew scripture, which meant that Jesus was so thoroughly knowledgeable of the scripture of the word of God, that he lived his life as if the word of God was his very food and he was feeding upon it and it was his substance, his life. He was so ingrained in the very narrative and the story of scripture and of the, of, of the Word of God, that over and over again, you see that phrase, this is what he did to fulfill the scripture. This is what Jesus said in connection with the scripture. So you see that this is a common theme. I'm going to read uh, just a couple passages out of um, Psalm 69, just so you can get a little bit of the flavor of what's happening. Again, um, I like to think of phrases like this as hyperlinks. In other words, Jesus will say something like this as a means of especially those that were familiar with the scripture. Their minds would immediately go back to not just that particular passage, but all that that passage was encompassed to or connected with. Um, So um, it's a way of kind of basically doing a a, a wink, you know, or a, a hat tip, you know, to this particular scene in the people of Israel's life. So this particular psalm, Psalm 69, Psalm 69. Um, it's a psalm that is attributed to King David, if you're familiar with him. Um, here's how the psalm starts off. He says, Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and the flood waters are all over me. I'm weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. So David immediately starts off with this like um, recognition that whatever type of circumstance that he's going through, it's one of the things I love about the Psalms, by the way, is that the Psalms actually give you language to describe um, seasons of life. Um, this is why I would highly recommend, if, if anything, a practice that you can incorporate in your life right now in this season of disorientation is at least, if anything, read a Psalm a day. A Psalm a day. And it can be as simple as, you know, whatever day of the, um, the, the month or day of the year it is. So, you know, a lot of our calendars have, you, you can click a button and it will say, you know, day 68 or whatever it is. I don't, I'm not even sure exactly what day it is um, in connection with the entire year. So it's 360 days out of the year. So whatever day it is, you can read that Psalm. Um, again, there's, there's more days of the year than there are, are Psalms. So once you hit the last Psalm, you just repeat, start Psalm 1 again. Or you can break Psalm 119 down. But the whole idea is at least read the Psalms. And the reason why I would suggest this is so important is because the Psalms will give you vocabulary. It will give you language. Um, As you go through life's challenges and hardships and struggles, it will give you vocabulary on how to work through those uh, savage moments. uh, Recognizing that even though you might feel like the way the psalmist described, I'm in deep mire. Um, I'm weary because I've cried so many tears. I don't have any more tears to cry. Have you ever felt like that? David did. And David has language and vocabulary that he's imparting to us. And this is a gift from God because there's times in our lives where we don't even know how to describe the anguish or pain or sorrow or anxiety that we're dealing with. And so typically what we do, especially in the culture in which we live in, because we're so surrounded by all sorts of means to numb our pain or emotion, we go to those. And therefore what we do every single time we do that, I, I personally feel it takes a little bit of our humanity away. We become less caring, less compassionate, less in tune with the suffering of people in this world, not more. Um, So I I think the Psalms is a daily practice that could actually help you become more human, become more in touch with uh, biblical vocabulary, which ultimately will lead you to the heart of God. So with that being said, um, here's a couple other passages within this. Um, Psalm 69, verse 21, skipping on down, he says, they gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine. That's the, the passage, the exact passage that Jesus actually quotes from the cross. He's literally speaking forth a scripture. Um, again, I, I love this because think about it this way. Um, does Jesus know what to say? Uh, he's God. Of course, he can say anything he wants. But what does Jesus choose to say in his moment of deepest, greatest anguish? Uh, vocabulary that comes from the mouth of God. That's amazing um he's not saying words that you know are one liners from the sitcom friends he's not saying one liners from you know um the latest show that we you know binge watched on Netflix he's not saying lines from a song He's quoting scripture. I mean, that's just an amazing thing. And, and because of that, Jesus was able to um, be so in tune with the heart of God in these really deep, dire moments. Listen to how Psalm continues. He says, I will praise, and this is kind of the, the psalm pivots from anguish and pain and struggle and hardship. It pivots over into praise. And listen to how the psalm ends. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox and more than a bull. Uh, And then he says, when the humble see it, they will be glad who will seek God. Let your hearts revive uh, for the Lord. hears the needy and does not despise his own people who are prisoners, Let the heaven and the earth, praise him, the seas and everything that moves in them for God will save Zion. And he builds up the cities of Judah and the people who dwell there and possess it. And then he goes on to just end with this like Psalm of praise and worship and honor back to God. So that's what Jesus is quoting from. I want to read another passage out of the book of um, First Timothy. Um, I have recently been studying and reading through the creeds in the New Testament. The New Testament is actually filled with all sorts of creedal statements. Um, Here's one of them. Um, First Timothy chapter three, verse 16. And what I mean by a creedal statement is these are, think of a suitcase. A suitcase is, is what you use when you go on a journey. You bring your best uh, clothes with you on a journey. You don't bring your entire, you know, wardrobe, unless, <clears throat> unless, um, unless you are married to me. I'm uh, just kidding. Um, you you bring your your best clothes. You leave the rest of your clothes at home. So, a creedal statement was basically a way of uh, synthesizing or reducing certain words and phrases down to the pure essence. So, this is what First Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen says in this clear old statement, we confess, it says right there, it's a confession, it's a creed, great indeed is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated in the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed in on in the world, and then taken up in the glory. That little phrase manifested in the flesh. Um, this picture, the Christian depiction of God is not a God that's distant or far or not um, caring or um, not in tune with the suffering of humanity. So I don't know what you are going through right now. I don't know what types of sorrow or pain or anxieties or fears or worries that you might find yourself mired up to your neck, just like the psalmist said in Psalm 69. Um, And I don't know how you think about God. You might think of God as being angry or frustrated or upset with you or constantly disappointed with you. Um, I want to invite you to see a God that actually fully, completely is in tune with your pain. Just pause and think about that. The the God that the New Testament reveals to us. That really the whole Bible, but it really becomes crystal clear in Jesus. That it's a God that is very in tune with your pain. Um, Dorothy Sayers, one of the great writers, um, said in a writing that she had written called creator chaos she says for whatever reason God chose to make man as he is human beings like you and I limited and suffering and subject to sorrows and death he had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine whatever game he is playing with his creation he has kept his own rules and he played fair he can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself he has himself gone through the whole of human experience the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work the lack of money and the worst horrors of pain and humiliation defeat despair and death when he was a man he played the man he was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it all well worthwhile why um the resounding answer over and over again is love he loves you um, when Jesus is on the cross, he says, i thirst uh see it's Spurgeon i don't have his quote, but he says something to the effect of the the one who created the ocean and every droplet of water in all the universe i'm paraphrasing him is the one who has now subjected himself to utter thirst he's thirsty he's thirsting um The story gets even more interesting because as the final act begins to take place, um, as Jesus cries out, I, "I thirst," we're told, according to John, John chapter 19, verse 29, um, the Roman soldiers stood by. They heard earlier they had given him some 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 wine. It tells us was which was kind of like an antiseptic or a, 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 whatever it was to kind of numb your ability, your senses. Uh, and Jesus refused that. But in this particular next step. They actually offer him what it says in verse 29, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on his branch and they held it to his mouth. This little phrase that John tells us. Now, a couple of questions is, is one, what, what was sour wine doing there? Um, and what is sour wine? A lot of scholars believe this probably be something akin to uh, vinegar. Think of vinegar. Nobody drinks vinegar unless you're crazy and you drink apple cider vinegar like me every single day. as a, just a way of you, you think it's going to help you, but um, think of drinking a cup of vinegar. Why vinegar? What's vinegar there for? Uh, well, it's very possible that vinegar was actually used as, as an antiseptic, as a means of cleaning and cleansing. And what was the sponge there? Well. Um, back in the day, if you were a soldier, you would have a kit and this kit would basically be something that you would carry with you everywhere that you would go. And this kit would basically have some form of antiseptic vinegar that's described here and, um, your toiletries, which when you went to the restroom, you would bring these toiletries with you. One of the means that they would use to, and again, without getting grotesque, that you would use to, um, cleanse yourself after going to the restroom would be a sponge. So in this particular context, what the writer John is telling us is that when they heard Jesus cry out, I, I thirst, um, knowing full well what happened next, uh the soldier takes this sponge that was very likely used by him for those sanitational purposes, dips it in this vinegar. Sticks it up to Jesus on the cross. And I want you to get this image in your mind. The very final act of human beings before God, to God. In other words, what humans give to God, embodied by the soldier, is the taste of feces. And then Jesus dies. The picture I want you to get in your mind, and your understanding, is that Jesus knows what suffering feels like. This is the image that the New Testament depicts for us is a God that understands human frailty and pain and hardship. Lastly, I want to close with this final thought that we see, number one, the human vulnerability of Jesus depicted in his words. um, I thirst and then ultimately this divine deliverance of God. And this comes through this little phrase that John tells us that they used a hyssop branch and they used the hyssop branch with this sponge and the vinegar that goes to jesus why why hyssop branch well again john is a is a not only a master writer but he's also carried by the holy spirit so he's writing with deep inspiration as well as a deep understanding of the vocabulary of the language of the bible and so a lot of scholars actually believe that the 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 usage of the word hyssop is is again another hyperlink that if you were jewish and you were familiar with the biblical language Um, immediately your mind would have gone back to the Old Testament, um, at least on a couple different aspects. Number one, the hyssop branch was actually part of the Jewish ceremony of purification. Um, So, for example, um, in the temple, the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, chapter 14, verse four and verse six, the book of Numbers, chapter 19, verse six, Psalm 51 is another famous psalm where uh, David prays uh, shortly after his his. um, sinning against God with Bathsheba, um, it's that famous Psalm where he says, you know, uh, create in me a, a pure heart and uh, create a right spirit within me. And he says, purge me with hyssop. Um, this is a way of David basically putting into graphic, poetical language, God, please forgive me. God, cleanse me. He uses the word hyssop as a means of saying God cleanse me with this. So number one, purification of sins. But number two, deliverance to a new life. Because, for example, hyssop was also used in the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verse 22, where God actually orders the people of Israel on the night of the Passover um, to take the hyssop and to put blood on the doorpost of the house. And this was the, the act that ultimately led to the, um, the angel of death passing over the people and then God bringing the people of Israel out of Egypt and into a new life. Um, so a lot of times Christians typically think of their relationship with God as being nothing more than being forgiven of their sin, being purified, which it is that definitely. It's not less than that, but it's far more than that. And what God brings us into is not just simply a status of being forgiven, but into a new life whereby deliverance. So the question is, what are we delivered from and what are we delivered to? Well, Ultimately, we're delivered from a life whereby we live according to our own thirsts, our own passions, our own longings that often always lead us down to a pathway of limited um, help and assistance and pleasure. But then he leads us to a new life of becoming the people of God. And I wanna finish this with this final thought for you to consider and think about. Um, Would you mind getting the communion elements? Um, I think I have, we have some bread. And since we don't have any wine ourselves or some grape juice, um, what we do have is uh, LaCroix. (laughs) So so we're Californians. uh, We're from San Luis Obispo, so we're going to have communion with LaCroix. So there you go. Um, But um, we see that as we kind of summarize this whole thought together, that God actually um, is calling us to be a, a, a new type of people. Like I said earlier, that I think in this season, we're learning that church is not about the centralized location. It's not about a building. It's not about an event. It's about being people. So my question that I want to ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is what does it mean for you to be the church, to actually live the church, to live in a new way in which you bear resemblance to your father who loves you, who knows what it means to feel pain. Uh, So the question I would ask you, um, just even in a simple way, who, who are your neighbors? What type of pain are they going through? Who are those that are most vulnerable around you? How is God calling you to embody, to live like Jesus in this life of being delivered from sin, from self-centeredness, from your own self-focused ways into becoming a person that embodies the love of God to those people around you? And how do we do that? How can we do that well? What are some unique ways in this cultural moment can we be people that embody the life of Jesus even in our own neighborhood? And again this could look as something as as simple as something as nothing more than um meeting the people around you as you go out for a walk as you engage with people that as they're walking their animals just ask them how you know how they're doing um maybe even ask them if there's any way that you can help them to go buy food for them or to pick up things for them um again if people have financial needs maybe offer to help them again i think the challenge for us is that do we truly believe that we have a god who is not only engage with our suffering, but he's also a God of abundance. He's a God that will, will give us everything that we need. And the reason why we know that he's a God that will give us everything that we need in this cultural moment is because of him giving himself to us. And that's where I want to turn now as we close with the breaking of the bread and the communion. So if you are joining in, i want to invite you to maybe grab some bread or if you have a cracker or if you don't have any wine or juice, um, look, Look at this, we've got LaCroix. I don't even know what flavor it is, they all taste the same, but LaCroix. So we're gonna take communion together so you can grab your elements right now. And um, what I wanna invite you to, as we go to the table, um, be reminded of the life that God has given himself to you. Um, I wanna also just say finally that if maybe you're watching and you're not a Christian, um, or you find yourself in the midst of incredible anxiety, incredible fear, incredible worry, Uh, It's crippling you. Um, I want to encourage you to turn to Jesus. Mm -hmm. And you might not even know exactly what that means, but it could be as simple as you turning your heart to Jesus and simply saying something along these lines, Jesus, I need you. Mm -hmm. Jesus, I need my life to be made new by you. I need you to help me, to save me, to rescue me. Whatever language or vocabulary that you have. In fact, I would love to just pray right now for you, if you are watching, you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus. Um, you can just repeat after me in your own heart or out loud if you're by yourself or you're with a group of people, and you, you know, that's fine. You want to make your confession of following Jesus with them. Um, but in this moment, I want you to just like think about what are, what do you need God to do for you. What are those areas where Jesus wants to make himself real to you, that he knows the type of suffering that you've gone through? Um, So you can just repeat after me, and then we will then take communion together. Um, So just repeat after me if you would like to trust Jesus. Jesus, I come to you even now. I place my confidence in you. I ask you to forgive me and wash me, to cleanse me of my sin, my failures, of my wayward life and make me new god help me to follow you with new strength new energy thank you jesus for making all things new i trust you as my lord and savior jesus name um, if you prayed that, I'd love to know who you are. Um, you can just email me at brian at or you can even email info at calvaryso.com, or um, I'll tell you in just a moment, we're actually going to switch from here into a live prayer gathering. I'll tell you more about that in two seconds. Um, but let's go ahead and partake of communion together right now as we eat the bread and as we drink the cup. Mm-hmm.